Adolin hates Sadius. Sadius, frick. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did notice you stumble over Sadius and Sadius. I'm, I'm cutting that out of the edit. <laughs> well, tell now you. you're not going to. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to Truthless, a sarcastic Stormlight podcast, where we have an unfiltered discussion of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight archives. We go through every page of these huge books, offering commentary, light on the analysis, and heavy on the hot takes. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Anthony, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Josh. Josh, what is something that you like about yourself? Something that I like about myself. Yeah. I like that I was able to take the initiative to start a podcast with you, Anthony. That's fresh. That's it's been a, a lot answer. of fun doing this over the last couple months. Nice. So I think that's awesome. And I think it's a good resume builder, too. <laughs> true, to true. That that's nice to put on. Those. So there's something I like about myself. Delightful. Now, before we get into the meat of the episode today, we have a very important thing to tell you, and that is that this episode features our first ever guest. Yay! Josh and I are joined today by one of our best friends and a fan of fantasy, the delightful Ben Kobe. Ben, would you like to tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you came to be on this podcast today? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, very excited. Big fan of the show. Been listening weekly or um, as soon as they come out. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've known Anthony and Josh for years and years. Grew up together, neighbors. And yeah, I'm just a big fan of stories, storytelling, you know, the bonds that we share when we read these books together. It's just, yeah, a lot of fun. Some of my uh, best and brightest memories are having conversations with you guys about various stories, whether it, you know, Game of Thrones, Star Wars. But yeah, I just yeah, love stories and uh, thank you for introducing to me to these books. Yeah. Well, you're already being more serious than we are on this very foolish podcast. So you're going to fit right in. You're taking it seriously. Let's go. It's going to be fun. So. Without further ado, we covered chapters 13, which is the Chasm Fiend fight, and 14, which was the Kaladin takes charge of Ridge 4 chapter last time. Today we're going to try to get through chapters 15 and maybe 16 if we have time, but they're both pretty substantive, and we have a guest now, so we'll see how that all goes. But we're going to do our best, as always, to keep it spoiler-free, and without further ado, I'm going to give the summary for chapter 15. Actually, before we get into that, I would like to mention that Ben is reading these for the first time. Oh, yeah. So his takes on it will definitely be... It'll, he'll have a different perspective than Anthony and I will have on these, which is very exciting for us, um, because we've read the book series multiple times at this point, so we know what's going to happen. While Ben, he is a little ahead of Chapter 15 at this point, but he has a doesn't know everything that's going to happen in these series. Mm. So That's a very good point. Okay, so Chapter 15, The Decoy. This chapter picks up with Dalinar, Adolin, and the royal entourage dealing with the aftermath of the Chasm Fiend battle. As the father and son supervise the cleanup, they take stock of their situation and think about how they've arrived at this moment in time. They then make their way to the royal pavilion that has been set up, trying to give a casualty report, but are interrupted by King Elicar and Sadius. Dalinar and Sadius get in a pretty heated argument that is on the verge of coming to blows until Wit walks in and sort of diffuses the situation. Dalinar then steps away, saying that he will look into something that the king had requested him to investigate, which turns out to be Elicar's saddle strap that broke during the fight with the Chasm Fiend. The king thinks it was cut as some sort of assassination attempt, and upon inspecting it, Dalinar isn't able to rule that out. Adolin is concerned about this, but not nearly as much as he is concerned about his father's confusing relationship with Sadius. Adolin hates Sadius, and to any casual onlooker, it would seem that Dalinar and Sadius hate each other too. But Dalinar explains that their relationship is more complicated. He relates some of their history, saying they were great friends until King Gavilar was assassinated, and then they both blamed each other for letting that happen. They're no longer friends, but they do have a shared interest in protecting the new king, which sort of facilitates them working together sometimes, even if they aren't too happy about it. As Dalinar is explaining this to his son, the king walks up to check on the status of the saddle strap, and his paranoia is on full display. It even looks at one point like he's suspicious of Dalinar. But then the bridge crew that has come to take everyone home arrives, and as Dalinar is packing up, he thinks about the night of his brother's death and the mysterious final instructions Gavilar wrote for him, which, as a reminder, is, Brother, you must find the most important words a man can say. As it turns out, Dalinar has discovered that this is actually a quote from a book. It's an ancient book, its reputation is tarnished by association with the Lost Radiance, and the book is called The Way of Kings. Title card. Yay, exciting. 
<sighs> that was a long explanation, but there's a lot happening in this chapter. Yes. So, I was thinking before we get started with, like, you know, the paragraph by paragraph, I want to hear what Ben thinks on a lot of these characters, you know? Go into what, as a first-time reader, you think. Because my opinions, and I'm sure Anthony's opinions on these characters, have been, like, warped a lot by oh, seeing yeah. what happens in the future. So, I don't know. Like, for example, what do you think of Dalinar? We're, like, two mm -hmm. chapters in with him. So, yes. what's your first impressions? Well, Dalinar has been you know, very quickly painted as, you know... A stoic sort of badass yeah who has grown past like the regular squabbles of alethi high princes mm. and is you know looking more from a more top-down perspective he's not he's no longer fighting in the weeds for like political power or anything mm -hmm. but just the way that they showed him fighting in the chasm fiend chapter um yeah. with him catching the claw that would have you know maybe not killed elkar outright but definitely uh some repeated bashings might have um, he, showing his, yeah, combative prowess and especially this chapter, just showing how over the Alethi squabbles he is. I think he's, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want to harp that. I don't want to go too heavy into Game of Thrones, but a very <laughs> Ned Stark type, yeah. you know, very, uh, honor bound, very straightforward. I mean, there's a later in this chapter, Sadius says, oh, are you serious, Dalinar? He says, I always am. I wrote that down, too. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my funniest notes. Uh, Dalinar is Drax from Guardians of the oh, Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> he has uh. no no cool. <laughs> if someone tried to throw something over Dalinar's head, he would catch it. <laughs> actually, when you talk about Game of Thrones, I imagine lots of the characters, like Game of Thrones characters, I actually imagine him as like a jacked version of Davos Seaworth. That's who he is, like, in my mind. Which is not, doesn't really fit his description that much, but that's just what, I assigned Dalinar to that in my head. Whatever. I mean, the loyalty that they feel to their king is definitely very, yeah, uh, true. Davos and Dalinar true. definitely true. share loyalty to their king Word. in that way, so Justifying I get it. it that way. I thought he was more of a Ned Stark type, Yeah, but I can, very similar honor-bound characters. That was a better comparison. Yeah, I feel like you two, like, now that I'm hearing from you, Ben, I don't, when I read books, I don't analyze stuff, like, at all. <laughs> I feel like you two are much better at that than me. <laughs> like, you were, like, you immediately caught that he was, like, being above Alethi politics in, like, chapter two. I really don't feel like that's what I thought. I was like, oh, this dude's a badass, and then kept reading. I'll say, you guys don't give Shallan a fair shake. Just, oh. when I've been reading through it, I've, I'm excited for Shallan chapters and just hearing Josh slander her. <laughs> I was about to say, that's the first time that that sentence has ever been said in the history of the world. I'm excited for Shallan chapters. I don't know. I just really enjoy, some, like, you know, smart people talking about yeah. things that I find interesting. Mm. And fair. definitely Yasna and Shallan are, you know, investigating morality and stuff. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I think the first half of the Shallan chapters in this book I don't like. But then the second half, I do like. But I will say, some of the POV characters in Rhythm of War make Shallan look like the most interesting character ever, in my opinion. Okay. So, what is Rhythm of War? That's the, it's the fourth, fourth book. book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So four books, and I was telling this Ben actually last night when we were hanging out. It is a commitment to reading these books because I believe the tenth book is slated to release in like 2045, around. Mm -hmm. So. It's three years in between releases, but in between books five and six, there's going to be like a five-year gap of some sort well, of him not writing Stormlight. Well, me and Anthony can attest reading uh, the Game of Thrones books. <laughs> yeah. We're coming up on nine years Ugh. since the last release, yeah. I think, 2012. I refuse to get into them until Winds of Winter's coming out. I might never see you reading a Game <laughs> of Thrones <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's annoying. But yeah, Brandon is very consistent with his... Um, That's true. Writing like on his website, you can go to his website and it tells you exactly what he's looking for and the percentage done they are. Yeah. So like for example, right oh, now he's like fifty percent done with the Wax and Wayne Four novel. Last time I checked. And every year he publishes a, yeah. a State of the Sanderson address, which tells you how far he is along on all his yep. projects and what's coming up next. Mm -hmm. I, that yeah, that transparency that's commendable. Yeah. George R. R. Martin, take notes. <laughs> yeah. He just has those blogs that he puts out. Oh my god. Where he's like, I wrote five pages today. And it's like, okay, dude, let, let's speed it up, man. Like, you wrote five pages in the last three months. Like, I could do that. Well, speaking of writing, you have to remind me. So, Zeth wrote Gavilar's last words, right? Not Gavilar right. himself. Yes. Gavilar told Zeth yeah. to like, write them down in blood or something. I, I think Gavilar told Zeth, make sure my brother hears this. Yeah. And Zeth was just like, I, and scribbled it out. In Gavilar's yeah. blood. In Gavilar's blood. That's metal. It is Classic metal. Seth. 
I know, I know, I know you guys have already touched on this, but like the stigma against men reading and writing is just very funny. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. The world building is great. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I keep thinking that's like PG Game of Thrones, but they just both create a world that is just so engaging. Yeah. That I really just, the way he writes, it just promises cool things to come and Indeed. I'm very excited. Yeah. yeah. Promise lots of these things are going to come in a long freaking time. <laughs> yeah. Nine books apparently. Um, mm. but then we'll get there eventually. He promises them, and then he keeps you there forever. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're sucked in, man. Soon you're gonna be reading every book in the Cosmere. Yep. Which is a lot of them. That's what Anthony did. Um, and actually, we're gonna get to this at some point. Um, but I guess since we're talking about characters, what do you think of Wit? Yeah. Wit. Okay. Yeah. I remember talking with Anthony about this the other night. Um, yeah, obviously, you guys also talked about this, how, like, whenever Shalon has a chapter, she's, like, you know, making all these funny jokes mm-hmm. with the same kind of way. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, very funny, but the way Dalinar is, like, there's a certain air about Wit that he couldn't quite place. I'm like, yeah. Wit's going to be, like, a shard bearer, you know? I don't <laughs> yeah. know, but, like, there's got to be something there. You picked up on that line, and you told me about this the other day. I That had completely gone over my head when I read this the first time. I was looking back through this, and I did mark it because there's a line. Yeah, here it is. This wit had a strange air about him that Dalinar couldn't quite place. You said it exactly right. And to me, reading that through the first time, I'm just like, oh, okay, he's weird. And Ben, you, you're probably the most analytical of the three yeah. of us because you actually took that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Like, what does this mean for this character? Mm-hmm. Where I'm currently at in the books, I listen on audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't he, he been... knows all the correct um, pronunciation. Yeah, no, um, and I remember, yeah, last chapter, you said Mosh. It is Moash. I don't want to say Moash. It's it is not Moash. That... Damn it. It's not I that say Moshe too. But Moshe yeah. is so... It just rolls off the tongue so much better. Yeah. I, don't I feel like Moshe and Moist have the same energy. <laughs> I don't like Moshe. Hmm. Wow. You don't like Moshe the word or the guy? Wait, yeah. Well, we don't have to, we don't have to get too deep into him because <laughs> he gets more development in okay. a few chapters. Yeah. But... No, I'm just like the words. I don't know. Okay. Moshe okay. sounds okay. weird to eh. me. All right. I mean, Moash is the correct correct pronunciation so i guess we'll try to do that i'm sitting in the house of truthless you guys can pronounce however you want yeah (laughs) um anthony so i anthony was flipping through his book to look through a um to look for a note he made and he writes in the book which i hate but and you know it works for him and i just saw in one of the margins it just said fuck you and like (laughs) cursive writing where nothing else is in cursive do you want to find what that note is yeah let's find out right Uh, there yep there there it is. is Let's see. Oh, this is when um, Sadius and Dalinar are having that debate about how to use bridges. Yeah. And Sadius is just like, I have all my people as cannon fodder. And they just go up there, Mm -hmm. and the Parshendi focus on them. And I was so angry that it just writing a regular fuck you in the book wouldn't have quite been enough. Mm. So I had to make it a little fancier. You had to emphasize the fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, that's always... I feel like that's always an interesting debate when it comes to, like, war. It's like mass sacrifice of lives of, like the slaves versus the lives of like soldiers right it like it makes sense in like the logical context of war but it's also just such a dick move i think lots of people like to think that they could like be like oh that's like the objective move that i would make but here's the thing there and something else that i noted in this chapter there's an interesting moment where um dalinar says something to the effect of is it worth the cost? Like, is victory worth the cost? And everyone in the room goes, <gasps> what? That's such an unalethy way of thinking. And that bothered me a little bit because I'm like, I get the alethi are very victory-focused, they're combative, but having the ends don't justify the means be that foreign to everyone in the room seems a little over the top. But that's what it is. Like, the ends always justify the means for the alethi. So Sadis yeah. doesn't give a shit how many people he kills taking the bridges out. As long as they get a gem heart. Exactly. Yeah. I always thought that was interesting that they swapped over to the gem hearts versus just killing the Parshendi. Because actually, that was something I mentioned. Literally, right the second that it switches over to Dalinar's POV, like the first thing he mentions is, oh, the reason why we haven't just destroyed the Parshendi is because we'd get dunked by high storms. And I was like, oh, okay, good job, Brandon, for immediately, you know, plugging up a little plot hole. But... There's another plot hole in there that I found. They said that the Parshendi were trapped on the Shattered Plains because yeah. there were Alethi to the like north and east, or north and west, or whatever. And there was like a mountain range to the east and south. I'm like, you can't... These guys can jump over the chasms, yeah. and they can't handle a mountain range. 
to get away. I guess it's maybe it takes a while, and the scouts would notice, so I they'd, guess. like, carry them. But it raises the question of, like, what's keeping the Parshendi here? Do they want to be in this war? Yeah. It just adds to the mystery a little bit. Yeah, that's true. What do you think about the Parshendi, Ben? They're, like, the first race that are not, like, normal humans. First thing that struck me, really, is, the, like, the difference between the Parshmen and the Parshendi. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'm just paranoid, but I'm worried that the Parshmen are, like, sleeper agents. Mm. But here's the thing. It's just, we don't know... There what the Parshendi's goals are. Especially yeah. at this point in the book, no idea. Yeah. Yep. Are they seeking the gem hearts? It seems like they are. But, like, for what ends, you know? Mm-hmm. We don't really know. Yeah, because like, they're not really trading. Not that like, we know yeah, of. Yeah, not that we know of. You know? So, yeah, it just makes you think that, like, what could this gem, like, they don't, do they use mm-hmm. money? We don't know. Yeah. These guys really rolled up, said, fuck your king, killed his ass, then dipped. <laughs> and offered no explanation <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, but, you, and you make a good point about uh, the parchment being sleeper agents. You're not the only person that thinks that, because, like, they think about that in the book. Yeah. I think probably, I don't know if they've mentioned it yet, but characters are a little suspicious mm-hmm. um, of the parchment sometimes. I feel like they're just too dismissive of the parchment. So many, like... You hear about so many bright lords just like having them in their service. Oh, that's true for sure. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think it's probably an underestimation mm. of yeah. The, well, this all hinges on the fact that the Parshmen are sleeper agents, and that they are a threat. There's a chance. I mean, obviously that they couldn't be, but it just how does a race of people end up like this? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Good I question. think I think that all of them are so dismissive of dismissive of them because they're literally like the perfect sort of slave that just does whatever you want i i'm sure that they're they've never there hasn't been a single mention of like a parchment rebellion or like parchment like fighting back or even resisting mm-hmm. so it's almost like the seth's oath stone in the um right the mm-hmm. interlude where it's like if you have the oath stone you just got to do whatever he says yeah it's definitely an interesting dichotomy between the two because you got on one hand the perfect slaves and then on the other hand the ninja jumping, mace wielding, giant <laughs> armored armor. bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the Parshendi. I like it when authors introduce like other races and stuff. Yeah. I just think it makes it interesting. Yeah, and we get more on them later in this book. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually now that I'm thinking about it, in all the other books, there aren't really any other distinct races. Aren't the Alethian like the Shin different races? Yeah. No, Different ethnicities. Like, different races is in, like, Asian people and American yeah. people are different We're races. talking about, yeah. like, like, elves and dwarves versus humans. Sort oh. Of things. Yeah. Yes, because the Parshendi do have, like, that armored body, that, like, yeah. the yeah. armor that grows. That is definitely inherently not a human trait. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Maybe, like, living out on the plains, they evolutionarily just grew that. Mm. Similar in, like, you know, that every single animal or plant. Sorry, Anthony, I don't mean to step on your natural sciences <laughs> here. They all grew shells. You know, just to probably yeah. weather the high storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thought. That's yeah. the thought. We will mm-hmm. have to wait and see. Yeah. Do you have a natural sciences prepared for today? I do have a natural sciences oh prepared okay, for well, today. I mean, you want to just springboard right into that? All right. Welcome to Natural Sciences Corner with Anthony Murphy Nielsen. Okay, so let me find my note. But there is a moment where they're cleaning up from the Chasm Fiend fight. And some guy is, you know, crushed by the chasm fiend, bleeding on the ground. And it says that the rock buds opened up their vines and were drinking the blood of this guy. What the fuck? Which seems totally out of left field. Plants don't normally drink blood. And I know this is a, like, a mysterious Roshar plant, but they say, the way they explain rock buds is that a high storm comes through, they're like rocks, and then when it's wet, they open up and these vines come out and like drink up the water and that's how they get water. Water and blood are not the same things. It's probably hard for them to distinguish liquid because they're not, they're plants. But yeah, but like if you started drinking blood, wouldn't you be like, ah, this isn't water? Yeah, but like, you know, you've seen the videos of like Venus flytraps where if you just like put something in them, they'll close. I suppose, I suppose that's true. Yeah. It just seems like, I don't know, it makes all these plants so much more nefarious. Yeah. Not every I plant completely is missed that, right? that they're drinking blood. Yeah. That's metal as yeah. fuck. It is metal as fuck. Yeah. Maybe they I want to know more. Maybe they use the iron of the blood for part of their shell. Oh, yeah. Perhaps. There you but go. this might be the only mention of a blood-drinking plant. I didn't even catch that it on I didn't catch it either. my <laughs> read-throughs yeah. or listen-throughs. Yeah, that is not elaborate. Well, there was on. not a whole lot of natural science and stuff in these two chapters, uh-huh. so I yeah. did. Actually, there's one in the next chapter, but... Oh, a very exciting We'll get there later. Yeah. Look Mm -hmm. forward to that, guys. 
Okay. That's about it. I was just like, that's fucking weird. This yeah. has been Natural Science Corner with Anthony. This has been Natural Sciences Corner with Anthony Murphy Nielsen. It's a good one. I like that one. I didn't catch that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Something I caught that was sort of natural science is, is the chasm fiend died and then immediately Kremlings started eating it. Oh, and yeah. I was thinking like those Kremlings are probably set for like three generations <laughs> of Kremlings. Because I bet, you know, bugs don't live that long. And this chasm fiend is like what? Big. 50 story building or whatever. That that's too big, but big. Yeah, yeah. So that's got to be like, you know, it's like stand, us next to a two blue whales. Ooh. It's like, how long do you think you can make a blue whale last? Without a freezer, not very long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But we'd be we'd be gross bugs in this situation. True. So I don't think we need to refrigerate our food. <laughs> we can just eat it as it's decomposing and die. That's how everything on the bottom of the ocean exists. Yeah. Like whale carcasses fall down there and sustain life for generations. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought there was like geothermal nonsense. Well, that's that's also a thing, but in the okay. like broader yeah. abyssal plain, as it were, mm-hmm. it's just they live on dead so stuff. There's that's just not a lot of plants. And then there's obviously like angler fish that like fucking, you know, gank the hell out of the little fish, like in Finding Nemo. Cool. Yeah. All right. Ben, are there any other characters you want to give your thoughts on, or shall we get into step by step through the chapter? I would like to talk about Sadius. Please, do. I was about That's to the one say. I was ask. If, yeah. yeah, if you did, if you said no, I would have been like, well, what about Sadius? He, he's probably one of the characters I'm the most interested in. Mm. Yeah. Just because of how little I trust him, I have a conflicting like thought in my head. Like they talk about what happens to Dalinar during high storms. Obviously, we don't see it in this chapter, but just the way that he's changed and what is hinted at about what happens to him during high storms, I can't help but think like. Is he washed? You know, does he trust Sadius and he shouldn't? Like, is he... Is his judgment to be trusted? I don't know. Yeah, that's something that's, I grapple with. Because obviously... the questions of this book. Yeah, because obviously Adolin is questioning some of his actions now. So as a reader, I like, can't help but look at everyone around and be like, is he enlightened? Or is he... Can he still play this Alethi Game of Thrones? Can he read Sadius anymore? Like, I don't think so. So I have Sadius as, like, a little finger Cersei kind of combo, like, very much playing the game. And there's a good line in here that illustrates that. So Sadius gets, like, insulted by wit. And the king's like, I better go make sure that Sadius is okay. Yeah. Actually, let me pause you, because that I wrote down that insult because it was so good. <laughs> Hold up. I thought it was so funny. Oh, so wit says something about, like... Sadius being with a prostitute and then Sadie says like ah! and then Wit says they're like talking about like purpose or something and Wit goes mine is to make insults yours is to be in sluts I wrote that down too and I think that is one of Wit's weakest jokes in the what book. dude he's come so on. clever he's so clever but for this he just rearranged two letters to make like it, it dude, doesn't it's rhyme an ep- it's an epic I don't burn. like it it's an I don't like burn. it I think it's really good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank I think you. it's really good uh, wordplay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if he, if he uses prostitutes, then hey, good roast. Excuse me, hello. Hi, it's Editing Anthony. And while we're on the topic, I just wanted to pop in to add that this has got to be one of my least favorite words in the English language. I think it's crass and offensive, sure, but most importantly, kind of sexist. And I think Wit, the character, can make a better joke, yes. But I also think Brandon Sanderson, as an author, can do much better. He's a smart author and a nice man, and I just thought this was beneath him. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay, sorry. Go back to what you were saying. Oh, yeah. So it's just uh, Dalinar and Sadius had a a confrontation in which Mm -hmm. the king did not get involved. But then as soon as Wit, like, oh, oh, no, Sadius' feelings are hurt. Let me go make (laughs) sure he's okay. He has too much power with the king. He's not even a member of the Colin family. True. Mm -hmm. So it would make sense for, like, Dalinar and Elokar to be so close, but Sadius should just be another high prince, I think. They do have a history. Like, they explain it at the end of this chapter. Like, Sadius and Dalinar were super close before Gavilar was assassinated. Mm-hmm. So it sort of makes sense that as Elokar was growing up, he would have gotten close with Sadius. And then only in the past couple of years have they sort of fallen apart. But, yeah, he definitely has more of more of the king's ear than the other high princes. So, yeah, I don't think Sadius, like, wants the king to come to harm. But I don't think that's his main goal. I don't know. I, I just don't trust him, especially, like, with the, you know, because obviously he uses the manned bridge crews, mm-hmm. and, like, obviously from, like, a high-up perspective, like, oh, the bridge crew makes tactical sense, but then when we, when we get Kaladin chapters of him running a bridge, yeah, 
it's awful. Anyone who does that, it's unconscionable. I don't know. I, I just can't get behind someone who would do that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that they kind of show where, on one hand, if... So if there wasn't Kaladin and Dalinar chapters, say there was just Dalinar chapters, and we the bridge cruiser just kind of explained to us, I think you'd be like, oh, that sounds like it sucks, but whatever, and you'd keep reading. But since it oh. also shows Kaladin just, like, in hell running these bridge crews it's a lot more like no fuck you man yeah that sucks like anthony wrote down <laughs> definitely um, but yeah i think like he brandon does a really great job of like it, it's kind of hard to explain like just the way he writes sadius and how what other characters think of him it makes the reader feel like oh this dude's like slimy i don't trust him even though objectively like if you just look at his actions he really he hasn't done anything like bad he's just kind of called like Renarin a name. Oh, and sorry. Let me jump in. Renarin. Renarin. Fuck. That sounds better than Renarin. I am very interested in how you took this whole Sadius thing and how you're basing your opinion of him off of whether Dalinar is washed up or not. I did the exact same thing on my first read through, but in the other direction. I was like, I trust Dalinar. He seems like a cool dude. At, at this point in the book, I had a little bit of like, oh, is he is he going nuts? Um, but I felt like. I trusted him, and later in this chapter, when Dalinar is explaining their history, I was like, okay, if Dalinar trusts Sadius, I don't like him, I don't like how he uses bridges, but I can see that they're on the same page about protecting the realm, and I I took Dalinar's word for it, basically. Yeah, so you used, like, logic, where my logic was, Dalinar's the main character, he's probably right. <laughs> that was my logic, like, when I was thinking about the whole Dalinar's, like, vision and is he crazy sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the difference between these two and me. They're, like, you know, analyzing thing, and I'm just like, yeah, he's a POV character, it's probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> but just talking about, like, you know, obviously the book that this book is named after, The Way of Kings, mm -hmm. that Dalinar's been studying because he found out that Gavilar's final words were a quote from that book. Like, The Way of Kings, in conjunction with Gavilar's last words about, you know, uniting them. Um, and how well, Traven... If I can... Gavilar's last words weren't about uniting them. That is yeah. from Dalinar's visions. Mm -hmm. Dalinar's visions say unite them. Gavilar's yeah. last words are this quote from The Way of Kings that mm -hmm. is, you must find the most important yeah. words or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and small side note, each book is named after a different book in universe. Yeah, True. so Words of Radiance... Mm -hmm. Oathbringer and um, it was really Rhythm of War. But yeah, it was. Yeah, no, that makes it. Oh, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. Oh, and another thing that's kind of cool. So has there been mention of Ketix yet? No. Ketix? No, there hasn't. Okay, it's not a spoiler at all. Basically, there are these poems that they write where it's the same forward and backwards. That's yeah. just like, that's like kind of an Alethi poem, which is Symmetry kind of Symmetry cool. is a big deal yeah. in this, so they try to write art that's yes. symmetrical. And the book titles for the first five books are going to be a Ketik, like an acronym. So Way of Kings, um, Words of Radiance is W-O-K-W-O-R. No way, really? You didn't know that? Yeah. No. And then Oathbringer, O, is the middle. Whoa. And then Rhythm of War, R-O-W, versus... Um, K-O-W. Uh, yeah. At the end. Yeah, yep. that's fascinating. Yeah, that's and then, really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my guess, and I think a general consensus guess... For the the fifth book's title, might be Knights of Radiance, because that's Way of Kings. No, it's not. W and R. Knights of Radiance. Knights of Radiance. Yeah. Yeah, you misheard me. Knights of Radiance. If Brandon names his book that, I will pay you fifty dollars. Yeah. Okay, shake my hand right now. Uh, I saw. Hey, it. They shook hands. Siri, give me a second here, guys. Set a reminder for <laughs> January 1st, 2023. Did Brandon name the book Knights of Wadiance? With a W. No way, no way Siri gets Wadiance. Well, Anthony, good thing you added in the with a W. There it is. So I will be reminded in a year and a half here if he named it Knights of Wadiance for that clean $50 bet. That's you, so really, you really should have made it if it's not Knights of Wadiance. Then I give you fifty, because now it's just it's just no nope, nope, don't too late. The reminder has been set. All right, I'm not worried. <laughs> Man, I had a point about that. I forget now. <laughs> <laughs> I had a point about nothing. About radiance. just um, Dalinar's visions in conjunction with Gavilar's last words and oh, the yeah. way of kings. It's just I don't think Dalinar is crazy. 
I just don't think he can play the game that Sadius is playing. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Mm-hmm. Sadius comes off as like the scathing little conniving guy, and then Downer's just like, fuck all these petty bitches. I'm a baller. I heard him say that. Yeah, was that a direct quote from the book? Yeah, when the narrator said it in the audiobook, yeah. I was like, wow, that is shocking. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Way of Kings, the book within a book, they have a passage from that in yeah. this chapter, yeah, which I really cool. like. It's talking about, it's written from the perspective of this guy who is a king, and he like oh, yeah. helps a peasant carry a big rock, basically. And I was like, this is nice. Everyone has a bad attitude about this book because it's associated with the Lost Radiance, which are, you know, bad. Yeah, boo. But this is a really nice passage, and it's like saying, be a nice person, help other people with their problems. It was kind of Jesus-y, and I was like, yeah, we're... Yeah, it's saying if you're a leader. It's kind of saying, like, you know, help out your people Mm -hmm. and don't do um, what... God, what, so what was the quote? Because it relates back to earlier when yeah. Dalinar's talking about don't tell your men to do something that you wouldn't do yourself talking in reference to the bridge cruise. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like this passage from the book directly like supports that, right? Yeah. If I wouldn't carry a big-ass rock on my back for a long time, then I shouldn't make my men carry mm-hmm. a big-ass rock on their back. And that's a good example of how reading this book is sort of changing Dalinar's perspective on the world. Yeah. Because his, you know, his philosophy about bridges is in line with what this passage is saying. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that he's had this book, he can't read it because he's a guy, but he's had this book read to him several times. So as he's progressing in his idea of what the Alethi should be doing out on the Shattered Plains, we mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. assume that it's influenced by the philosophies in this book. Yeah, and, it, and I think it just all comes back to Alinar is not thinking like an Alethi anymore. Mm. The Way of Kings, it's very non-Alethi. True. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, is really not helping him with his political clout and camp. Absolutely yeah. not. It's definitely adverse to the current Alethi political climate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, anyways. So, um, what do you think of Adolin also? Because I really like Adolin. Anthony, you don't like him. I do like him. No, you I do like him. I didn't like him yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point in the book. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, reading, that's what it was. Fan. I remember you originally texted me. When you were just texting me everything, and you were like, I hate Adolin. And I was like, no, he's cool. He hasn't done all that much yeah, that's in fair. these books so far. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. where I'm at in my reading, he's not done much except pretty much mm-hmm. question his father. But yeah. I think he's he's fair to question him, obviously. Yeah, I feel like he's very much just kind of here in these first couple chapters with him to just kind of like showcase Dalinar from a second perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. Because he hasn't done much except for you know, be a dick to women, yeah. which I remember you guys talking about. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think, he definitely doesn't deserve a woman. Yeah, I was talking to Ben about this the other day. I was like, he's not he's not ready for a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, no. he, which is kind of surprising because he's like, he's commanding armies. He's ready to mm. step up to the plate and be, you know, do the duties yeah. of a high prince. But Yeah, but he's only 22 or something. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. He's so not he's not there in relationships. Yeah. I think he's just like dumb and doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. I, don't, I think he means well. He's just, like, a, a doofus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a doofus who'll take a date on, like, let me go investigate this thing. Oh, yeah. And I'll bring oh, yeah. you along, and it'll be romantic. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Speaking of investigating the thing, let's let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm interested to see... A mystery is think. a foot. A mystery is in indeed a foot. Ro- on Roshar. I remember when I read this the first time, I was like, there's no way this saddle strap was cut. Elokar's definitely being paranoid. You learn more about it, obviously, as mm-hmm. the book goes on, but yeah, Ben, from a, from a first-time perspective, what do you think? Where I'm at, I think someone cut it. I think someone okay. did it on purpose. Okay. Because, again, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with, like, I don't really trust... Well, I don't trust Sadius. I don't trust any of the other high princes. Like, this this could easily be, you know, a chess move. Either whether they wanted to kill... Elucar or wanted to scare him more, make him mm. more paranoid. Um, right, because they mentioned this uh, cutting a saddle strap is not an effective way to assassinate someone who's walking around in shard plate all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they even touch on it that like even though they were fighting a chasm fiend, they weren't supposed to like be in danger. Right, they were supposed to hit it afar from it with arrows and then go in for the kill. Like it, there wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't supposed to be any danger. But I think I think this is probably just a move someone's doing to either, you know, un- up to, like, unsettle either Dalinar or Elokar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, what do you think about the hunts? Because you heard what I think. I hate them. What do you think? And Anthony was like... He was, I don't like the hunts. Yeah. I thought it was stupid and a waste yeah. of time. 
Oh, like like hunting a chasm fiend? Yeah, hunting a giant mm -hmm. thing that can kill half your army. Yeah, true. Because uh, there's, like, earlier in this chapter, it's like, oh, yeah, 50 people died. Yeah. And then the light eyes are just laughing and yeah. having yeah. a ball. Yeah, it literally, right? they mention that 50 people die, and then, like, one of the next paragraphs is, like, laughter rang in the distance. Yeah. And I remember as I was reading that, I was like, fuck these guys. <laughs> oh, yep. Yep, Ben wrote that down in his margins, too. He's another margin writer. Oh, you're writing the margin? Let's go. Yeah. Fist bump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just fist bumped, and I was not very happy about it, but I allowed it to happen. <laughs> Um, oh, oh, the hunts, yeah, definitely, I mean, I, you know, again, another Game of Thrones comp, Robert Baratheon didn't need to go hunt that boar. That's yeah. true. But hey, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it went badly. Yeah, but I feel like a boar is different than a fucking dirty foot, yeah. crab monster. I mean, uh -huh. that can kill a whole though? army. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but like, for these people. No, and here's why. Because well, it's for people in shard plate. It's not, but m most people don't have shard plate. Well, that's true. But also, there was Robert Baratheon's hunt was more dangerous because he's like, I'm gonna go kill this thing myself, and it's yeah. a wild animal. These guys were like, we're gonna shoot it from far away. They had a whole plan. It shouldn't have been dangerous. Obviously, it still was. Uh -huh. But yeah. I don't know. It's just a little different. I mean, it's yeah. a good way to get if they have a safe way of doing it it's just another way to get gem hearts bigger gem hearts than the cocoons yeah, yeah that's destroy fair. the food chain of the shattered planes but we talked about that last time but good thing that the humans they just use soul casters to make their food yeah obviously the wildlife will suffer but yeah. you don't care about that yeah soul ridiculous. casters are op man mm. just... i don't forget how much how much soul casting have we got up to this point in this almost book? none at all yeah and okay. they just mentioned that soul casters make food for the army yeah. okay and we saw uh yasna I said it right. That's I'm not gonna be able to. I don't know if I'm be able to transfer. That. I paused for like a second. Yeah, Jasna is so off. It's so off from the actual pronunciation. Jasna still cast that rock into smoke in one of the first chapters, mm -hmm. which yeah. that's about all we've seen. Mm -hmm. That was pretty metal. Yeah. Yeah, soul casting is very cool. It's just like poof. Oh, but can we talk about Dalinar's wife? Yeah. We can talk about Dude, I dude, when I read this, that really hooked me. I was like, what the fuck's going on? That went like, completely over my head the first time. Really? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, you how it's that? Like, yeah. Well, it was, maybe it was, it was interesting, but it was like, I could tell I wasn't going to get anything out of it for at least a while. They just skimmed over well, it Well, I could so tell. Hard. I could tell that too because they skimmed over it, but I still thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So basically when Dalinar's, when his wife's name is mentioned... First of all, he doesn't remember his wife at all. She's just like a blank ghost in his memory. Can I read the quote? Yeah, sure. So he's looking at his son, Adolin. The boy, or the blonde was an inheritance from his mother, or Sir Dalinar had been told. Dalinar himself remembered nothing of the woman. She had been excised from his memory, leaving strange gaps in foggy areas. Sometimes he could remember an exact scene with everything else crisp and clear, but she was a blur. He couldn't even remember her name. And then they just move on. I know. I was so intrigued by that. Because I read it, and the fact that they immediately moved on, I was like, ooh, something spooky magical is afoot. Like, there's going to yeah. be some other cool magic thing. And that's what I'm really interested in, is, like, the magic stuff mm -hmm. that's going on. I guess so I, I probably like, said that, too. But it was like, that's yeah. getting punted 20 chapters down the line yeah. at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just remember being like, some black magic of some sort, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, would Honorable Dalinar do black magic to bring his wife back from death? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you don't. Maybe that informed the man he is today or something along those lines. You won't know about his backstory in detail until book three. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, though. Yeah. No, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Book three is my favorite. Mm. Oh, I think book two is my favorite. Really? Yeah. Book, I, in my opinion, it goes book three, then book two are both super close. Then book one is, like, relatively close, and then book four is, like... Book four is a good book, still, but I think it's by far the weakest. But anyways... Getting kind of off track here from the, this chapter. Classic truthless. We <laughs> never stay on track. Oh, well. I have a note in here about the argument that Dalinar and Sadius have with each other. It gets so intense so fast, and it says something along the lines... Okay, so, Sadius is making fun of Dalinar's sons. And eventually Dalinar... Well, Adolin's ready to go fight him. And eventually Dalinar is like, I know you didn't just insult my sons to my face, because that would be, I would have to duel you over that. <laughs> My honor would demand that I duel you. And Sadie's finally backs down a little bit, and he's like, probably doesn't apologize, yeah. but he does back down. Oh, <laughs> you must have misheard me, for I would not have been so foolish as to say those things. Or exactly. Something yeah. like that. 
absolute baller move by Dalinar. He was like, right. bro, you want, you want, like, I'll beat you, man. Like, you'll lose. But, but the quote is, barbs were one thing, but dueling offenses were another. Yeah. That's laughably indistinct. Like, Sadius is shit-talking his him and his family so hard, and yeah. eventually, I guess, Dalinar just has to say something. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. That Their relationship is so strange. Dude, if somebody was shit-talking my sons like that, man, like, you know, because I'm obviously a father of a couple sons already. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I feel like if I had sons and somebody was shit-talking like that, I would be fucking pissed immediately. But I'm not an lefty high prince that has to know how to compose himself. So. Yeah. I but, just want to know the rules. Like, is... If you insult my son, that's a dueling offense and we gotta go. Yeah. But if you would insult me and say I am sleeping with prostitutes or whatever, yeah. that's well, not... Well, Wit is allowed to insult anybody. Of course, Wit is allowed remember. to insult. You're but allowed to kill him, though. That is another super yeah. strange thing. I wrote that down, too. You're legally allowed to kill the king's wit. Yeah. It's so weird. Well, no. Okay, it's... You can kill him, but then you get your land and title stripped of you. Yeah, but, like, that's very different from if you kill anyone else. Yeah. No, you know what it reminded me of? Um, there's, like, this, like, apparently, like, maybe 18th century, like, French jester and like, the court of a king who was, like, insulted the queen or something and he was sentenced to death. And they're, like, how would you oh. like to be killed? He's, like, of old age. And then they just let him go. <laughs> yeah! I remember that story because they were, like, you're, you're, like, funny enough that will give you the respect of choosing the way that you die. And he was, like, oh, of old age. And they're, like, ah, right, you're good. <laughs> good one. <laughs> That's why we keep you around. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Wit in this book has some of that, like, brain power, too. I thought he reminded me a lot of... I don't know if you guys had to ring, read King Lear in high school. I did not. I did. And they have the, the fool, and he is very, like, surprisingly cerebral and way smarter than everyone else, and he's just, like, kind of dunking on people, mm. but in a... Smart way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all you King Lear fans out there, there's a nice reference for you. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard of that. Reading these books, I was immediately like, Wit was like my favorite character, and then I figured out like what's going on with him, and I was like, oh, oh. There is a little part where Dalinar goes to visit um, Gallant, and he talks to him like a normal that man. Was so funny. Yeah, that I thought it was weird, man. I thought it was really funny. Okay, so the scene is. It's towards the end of this chapter. Um, they've done all their conversations and they're packing up and getting ready to go back to like the war camps. And Dalinar goes to the stables and is talking to his horse. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, you deserve to like, I don't know, eat a carrot or like some some prize. Like you did a good job." Yeah. Today it was no. Is you get like double rations of like fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And. <laughs> I mean, Gallon is a magical horse, and yeah. he's, like, a special breed, so he understands what Dalinar is saying. But Somehow. the stable groom is just standing there watching this conversation. Like, Dalinar, you are not helping your image of going crazy. This is <laughs> yeah, not... yeah. No, it's not, it seemed like a scene from The Office, where it was, like, <laughs> the so stable funny. boy is, like, Jim. Being just like, what the hell is Looking this? Looking into weird? the camera. Yeah. Why is this high prince, like, uncle of the king talking to his horse like it's a man? <laughs> Like, he, the horse does not understand that he's just going to eat the double rations. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was... The Rashandiums are pretty mysterious. They are. Like, they are... We don't have... We still don't know anything about them, really. Mm-hmm. Except they're just big magic horses. Yeah. Actually, something about the Rashandiums is every single time on Reddit, when I'm scrolling on Reddit, and there's a picture of a big horse... Because they're, they're just like, big horses look cool in real life. It's like, oh, check out this massive Clydesdale. Every single time I click on it and I scroll through the comments until I find a comment that says, that's a Rishadium. <laughs> and every single time there's one there. That's funny. One thing that I do want to touch on, because it's highly plot relevant, is the details of Gavilar's assassination and the yeah. role that Dalinar and Sadius played in that. The namesake for this chapter. Right. The decoy. Is the decoy. Because in the beginning of the book where Zeth strolls up and he sees everyone like ushering out some guy in fancy clothes he's like ah that's the king but then surprise it's actually the guy in shard plate um Sadius was that guy who they thought was the king he was the decoy Dalinar blames Sadius for not being with the actual king when the fight happened Dalinar thinks Sadius should have been there but what we also learn is that Dalinar was in a drunken stupor on the floor while this whole thing was going down and obviously, yep. Sadius blames him for not being with the king and not being remotely available to help in that situation. So that's the plot thing. My opinion on this, Dalinar is completely wrong. 
Like, Sadius came up with a plan. Yeah. He tried to execute it. It was a smart plan, and he almost got away with it. Dalinar was drunk on the floor. Mm -hmm. Even when his brother told him, like, be careful tonight. Stick to the codes. Something weird is happening. And I like Dalinar, but in this in this instant, yeah. I'm like, you're you're wrong to blame Sadius for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't... The plan to have the... more than I think about it, the plan to have, like, the king attack um, the assassin... It's like, okay, well, they obviously had time to put someone in shard plate and send him at the assassin. Mm. So why don't we have a random shard bearer do that part of attacking, still have Sadius run away, and then also have the king, like, in some other place at all. So it's like a total giant crazy decoy thing. Mm. It probably wouldn't have stopped Seth, honestly, still. But it would have been a lot harder. Maybe the king could have like escaped into the catacombs or something. That's a good thought. Yeah, I guess my initial. Yeah, because wait, hold was... up. Sorry, if they have enough time to get somebody into shard plate, yeah, to get the the king into shard plate, first of all, why can't they just use that time to just go hide the king? Because uh -huh, uh -huh. how did the king get into shard plate? My only possible answer is that he was already walking around shard plate. Yeah, but I feel like. I mean, yeah, don't they talk about houses? Oh wait, no, they didn't. Yeah. In the prologue. Zeth just goes, like, straight to the chamber. He, like, walks by and sees Yasna. Yeah. Uh, he sees, like, a comatose Dalinar. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I'm strolling in through with white on, so they see me. Yeah. So cool. I don't know. I just feel like if Gavilar knew something was off, he definitely could have, like, gone up and changed it to shard plate. Yeah, Like, that's after fair. sunset or whatever. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But also, don't you, like, if Gavilar is, like, anywhere near as good as Dalinar, he's probably your best chance at beating Zeth. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's fair. Gavilar is mentioned to be a very good oh, like, swordsman. And think about it. The Way of Kings sp says you cannot, like, you have to do something, like, you cannot command someone to do something that you wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Hey, Gavilar was about it. Yeah, that's fair. That's Gavilar fair. didn't want to, like, sentence anyone else, and if he was the best fighter, then it was the best shot. Yeah. Obviously, they could use, like, the 30 minutes to run away. Yeah. I don't know, it just feels like something Gavilar wouldn't do from yeah, I, I honestly have very little like experience with him. Just like the mantra of the way of king just makes me think that like he wanted the fight, he didn't want anyone else dying in his place. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And we do know, uh, I think Dalinar mentions that Gavilar was like reading or having the way of kings read to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was uh, he become very interested in the book before yeah. his mm -hmm. death. And that's yeah. why that's kinda how Dalinar figured out that, that was a quote from the Way of Kings, because mm -hmm. Gavilar think, was interested in it. I think Gavilar was having visions? I mean, I... Okay, don't, okay, if yeah, you know, don't say that. anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assume he is. I assume he was. I assume he was, yes. I don't know. Stormfather's chosen to be the change he wants in the world, mm -hmm. but Gavilar got himself killed. But then... But then if he was, if Gavilar was the Stormfather's chosen, did the Parshendi really hire Zeth? I don't know. I don't want to look mm -hmm. in your eyes when I'm saying this. <laughs> Maybe it's like well, some I'm other really, shadowy people um, hired yeah. Zeth to kill Gavilar. You know, Parshendi, they don't really have a reason for what I know. And if, the, like, you know, if Gavilar is doing the Lord's work, then maybe Zeth did the devil's work. I don't know. Well, Zeth certainly thinks so, because he hates himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zeth thinks he's the devil, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he thinks of himself as a tool. Yeah. He hates himself, but, but yeah. like, he thinks that he still has to do all these things. Yeah. Well, this chapter wraps up on a very cool quote, I thought. Hit it me. says, Bridgman, I can't read my handwriting. Let me flip. <laughs> Wait, I got it right here. Um, Dalinar is riding away on um, the the bridge that someone brought over so that they could get back to the war camps. And this is the quote. He turned his mount and clopped up onto the bridge, then nodded his thanks to the Bridgman. They were the lowest in the army, and yet they bore the weight of kings. That was an awesome It's really book. good. Especially because in the Way of Kings book, it showed the king carrying the weight of the common men, and now right. it's like the common men carrying the weight of the king. Plus, anyone who cares about the Bridgman is on my good side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that wraps up chapter 15. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Ben, our most esteemed guest? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A lot of promises of cool reveals to come <laughs> that have been hinted at that have mm -hmm. not hit yet. Excited to read them. Nice. Yeah. My okay. thought on this chapter was it was just... It was so much, but there was very little, like, trimmable fat. You could not take a lot out of this because there's yeah. just a lot of, like, relationship building. Uh -huh. it was not exactly topic. exposition, but just very important things to move the plot forward. Indeed. 
before we get into the um the closing, thank you so much for being here, Ben. Let's go, Ben! Yeah. yeah, listeners, hey. give him a round of applause. Uh, oh, guys, guys, listen, you don't have to. I don't deserve it. You know, <laughs> I'm just here talking about these books I like with my friends. Yeah. it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. well, if you're willing, I, we definitely love to have you back, man. Hey, I, I just want awesome. to be here for a meaty Kaladin chapter because I have so yeah. many thoughts on Kaladin I couldn't really get into. But yeah, I'd love to. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, by the way, email... before we end, Anthony forgot to mention, but we played poker last night. Ben oh, was I didn't too. forget. You uh, said something about your poker face, and yeah. I was like, I'm going to be a nice host and not uh, bring it up. But now that Josh is saying no, it, yeah, I take would, dude, I was, the story. I was giving you the... The boost here. I'm, I'm letting you tell them. Okay, so for all the hardcore listeners of Truthless, you may remember several episodes ago when Josh was dunking on me because he beat us in poker like two years ago. We had poker okay, night again no, no, last no. night. We had poker night again last night, and I beat Josh, and I feel yeah. very good about it. Yeah, so now for the times we've played, when we play poker, Ben plays every time too. We've played for money six times, and I've won three out of six times. I don't believe you. I think five. you're fabricating. No, I've kept I've kept exact tally. <laughs> three out of six times, I've won money. Okay, Anthony, how many have you? Is that your first time? I got second once and got my money back. Okay, so yeah, how we play is we don't like make the money. Yeah, like, I chip is worth the money. It's just first place gets all the money except for second place getting their money back. And everybody puts down like five dollars or whatever. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're welcome, Anthony. Yeah. Everybody, good job, Anthony. He finally won a game of poker for money. Thank you, thank you. If you yeah. want to email truthlesspot at uh, gmail.com and congratulate me for beating Josh in poker, you're more than welcome Go to. You Go can also it. check us out on Instagram and Twitter at truthlesspod. And as they say in the Stormlight Archives, life, life before, before death. death. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Oodles, for listening to Truthless. Truthless is hosted and produced by Anthony Murphy-Nielsen and Josh Armbrell. It is edited by Anthony Murphy-Nielsen. The social media is run by Josh Armbrell. The art is by Josh Armbrell. The music is from a royalty-free music website. And the lightning sound effect for Natural Sciences Corner is from zapsblatt.com. As we said, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at TruthlessPod and email us at truthlesspod at gmail.com. See you next time.